Uh, hi, this is Mako, author of Anti-Eva's Border, um, age player and Mazacast fan. You're listening to the Mazacast, which isn't taped, unlike my diaper. Hey, congratulations, you've managed to download another podcast. This episode, a uh, conversation with Melina Williams. Uh, if you don't know Melina, you're, you're in for a treat now. This episode's going to be a little bit longer than your average one. Most of the time I try to keep them around an hour, but frankly I just haven't had time uh, with the other two jobs to, to edit it down, which is, is fine because this is a, a great full episode for you. So here it is, conversation with Melina Williams. I was reading your, your, your bio before you... My, my, ex, my super X-rated, completely explicit... Well, you have... you have, 50 page I, I was reading, I was like, oh my God, I'm so lazy. <laughs> Holy crap. I, You know, it's really funny. I did, at one point when I was International Ms. Leather, I put together a list of all the events I did in that one year. And people were freaking out because it was something like 66 events, right? And they were like, how could you possibly? And like, oh, wow, you really stepped up your game for your title year. And I said, actually, of those events, um, probably 20, 25 of them were things that were added in specifically because of the title year. You know, like this leather contest that I would not have gone to otherwise. Right. You know, but otherwise I said, no, that was what I was doing. What, how, do you get, how do you get something like that? The uh, you're talking about international Ms. leather. You're yeah. talking about oh god. Well, and do you get do you get like <laughs> special like if you commit a crime in Belgium that year? <laughs> do I have diplomatic Diplom- immunity? Uh, yeah. that would be. I hadn't even fucking thought you, about. You should have checked. You may have. There may have been something in the UN <laughs> you know, charter. Like, totally. There may have been something in the UN charter. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because people don't. You know, I I grew up straddling the line between the quote-unquote leather and the quote-unquote kink and BDSM communities, right? So you have the people who identify as leather and 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 are more fetishizing the um, the traditions of, of the leather community and having, you know, MS and DS sort of at the core of their relationships uh, along those lines, you know, whatever leather means to them, because yeah. it's going to be different for all sorts of people. And then you have the folks who are like, I just want to do spanking. I don't need this other shit. You know, this is what my focus is. And I didn't see a need to separate myself from any of those because I had friends in all these different arenas, you know. If I had friends who were having, like, a swinging and sex party, and they were like, come to our swinging and sex party. I wasn't going to say, well, I am involved in a 24-7 old guard leather household, and it is not seemly for me to go to your swinger mm-hmm. party. Um, so I never had that separation. And I was familiar with leather contests, but again, I assumed for a long time that they were something that only men held, Right. right. Because you had, you know, I'd heard of International Mr. Leather, I'd heard of Mr. Drummer, you know, at the time I was living in San Francisco. So you would see, you know, the title holders at Pride, for example. Yeah. And I said, oh, so this is sort of like, you know, a beauty contest, except it's for Leathermen, you know, and that's kind of as deep as I knew it to be. Um, And then in 2009, I want to say, yes, 2009. Um, some women in San Francisco decided to revitalize the Miss San Francisco leather contest, which had been dormant for 10 years. Shockingly, there was some drama. I know. Who would have thought in a leather community there could be drama? <laughs> so this drama kind of like dissolved the contest. They didn't have it. So they were revitalizing it. And they were like, we're going to have this contest and it's going to showcase the leather women. And a, a friend of mine said to me, you should run. And I said, I don't know why I would. I'm really busy. Um, I don't even know how I would fit doing whatever you're supposed to do into my schedule. I'm like, what do they do exactly? 
you know, I, and, and so I did a little bit of research and my reason for running, which is really hilarious, because usually people are like, I want to forge bonds in the community, yada, yada, yada. And I kind of saw it as an opportunity to be a mole. I said, if you want to learn about something, you do it. Yeah. And so I said, how cool would it be? You know, and I'm a writer and a leather and king journalist of sorts. And so I said, well, let me run for this contest. See what it's like from the inside and have that experience because I had read at that point people talking about how there was this amazing camaraderie yeah. and how they ran for this contest and they discovered new aspects of themselves, blah, blah. So I was like, well, let me check this out. I will run. I looked at what I had to do and it was, you know, the time I was working still for uh, uh, penthouse.com, I was, you know, editing for alt.com and bondage.com, had all this shit on my plate and I said, okay, but this is what I would need to do in order to run for this contest. And it would take me about a month's worth of prep. And I can wedge it in between the rest of my schedule. And fine, I'm going to do this to check out and see what it's like. A month's worth of prep? Yeah. Okay. So that involved, you know, because you have to have, um, part of what you do is you have to have a basket of things to auction for fundraising. Okay. That's one of the core things of these contests is that you have a, a cause that you raise funds for or the contest itself is geared towards fundraising, you know. Sure. And so um, you had to gather all this shit so that you could have it auctioned off. And at that point, I just sort of put a thing out on my blog and on, on, on Twitter. And I said, hey, so I need stuff. Give me some things, people. And I had friends who were like, oh, I had this whip. I had this art. I had a friend who was a lawyer who said I'll give someone uh, 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 an hour's worth of consultation. I had a friend who was a masseuse. So I amazingly suddenly had this basket that auctioned for like $2,500, you know. And it was like huge and kind right. of epic. And, um, and then, so you have to have this basket to auction. You have to give a little speech. You have to have your leather wear. The judges interview you and ask you all these questions. And then you have to do what's called a quote-unquote fantasy. So you have to come up with a little skit that entertains a crowd and somehow is illustrative of your leather journey or your fantasy or whatever. Sure. So I've been an actor since I was four and a half years old. I started acting in film and TV and theater when I was a little kid. That's great. So I have some chops. So I was like, you know, I had no worries about my being able to perform, but I was rehearsing for a show and working full time. And so I had no way of putting together, because usually the fantasies are, here comes this hot leather woman and here comes these other hot leather women and now she's going to spank him and there's a tune on and there's all this choreography. I had zero time to right. put anything together. So my, my, my first thought was, I need to come up with a fantasy that's just me. And I said, okay, this is going to sound redonk, but I'm going to do, do like a performance piece. This is what it's going to be. So I had a friend build me a costume, and I came up with this whole you know, piece. And so this day of the contest, and we have the interview section, and then the crowd all comes in. It was held at a bar in San Francisco. And we did the interviews, and that went really well. And then we came out in our leatherware, and we had little pop questions. So they ask you questions, you have to answer them on the spot. And um, then we come up with the section for the fantasy. And so I came out dressed in full Aunt Jemima garb with, like, a head rag and a neck scarf and this huge billowing skirt. And the whole crowd was like... <gasps> Yeah, of course. You could just hear, like, like just the air gets sucked out of the room. And then the music starts, and for people who know Lift Every Voice and Sing, it's like the anthem of the African-American community. It's very moving, touching, spiritual. And so that starts, and the people who know it are like, oh, my fucking God, 
what's going to happen now? Yeah. Like what could possibly happen? And so the progress of the piece was that I came out and I had these, I had bought off of eBay, like you do these shackles. It looked very like old school, like slavey time shackles. And they were all rusted and corroded. And, and I had this like 20 feet of chain that was chaining me to the, to upstage. I did this whole dance, like struggling against the chains and crawling around on the ground. And then finally like pulled myself free of one of the shackles and the crowd's like, Wah! And then, like, yanked off the other one and then started to do, like, to this Negro spiritual, mind you, this striptease. So, like, the head rag came off and the blouse came open and underneath they had this, like, leopard print push-up bra. And the skirt came off and then I had this, like, rubber skirt underneath it. And the crowd is, like, freaking out and going wild. And then, like, as the final organ is swelling, I pick back up the shackles and, like, put them on and, like, throw up the black power salute. And the crowd's like, wow, wow, <laughs> like, tripping balls off. And I was like, yeah, I think I might have won this. He's going to say, the person, I feel so bad for the person who had to follow you. Because the person who was following you is like, I was going to do interpretive dance to CNC Music Factory. Everybody dance now. And now I got to follow this? This is horrible. Thanks a lot, jerk. That is, what a... It was like, and thankfully, thankfully, and you can put a link um, on the thing. This actually, someone captured it when I did it for International Ms. Leather. I repeated it because I was like, I don't yeah. have time to come up with a new thing. <laughs> right. I'm just doing Why that. Would I was you? like, I, know. I was like so- can I do that again? They were like, yeah, sure, fine. I was like, great. <laughs> and again, it was it was sheer, like, I just don't have time to do anything else. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a, a testament to doing what you can and having that be actually your best. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so I won that contest, and part of the obligation that you have when you win is that you then have to represent San Francisco in the international level. It's a feeder contest. Sure. Uh, like you win Miss Iowa, you're now going to run for Miss America, yeah. you know, and then Miss Universe or whatever the fuck. Um, so, uh, uh, so then I'm running for International Miss Leather, and I'm like, oh, what the hell does this mean? And again, you know, I have to do the whole thing, but now it's on a larger scale. Yeah. There's now like six or 700 people coming to see it. It's at a huge hotel in San Francisco. You know, there's like six or seven other women competing. Um, and uh, I actually felt as though I was kind of at a disadvantage because no one else who was running was someone who was sort of, you know, that well-known a presenter and writer. And so I had this this sort of skepticism from the judging panel who were like, why are you running for this? Yeah. You know, when you, because generally people will run if they're sort of like, want to take the next step. Yeah. And, and, um, you were already at that. I was sort of doing that. And I said, well, the main reason I'm running is because I, I have an obligation. Yeah. When I ran for Miss San Francisco Leather, I signed a contract that said I would run for IMSL, yeah, yeah. which is the acronym for International Miss Leather. Yeah. And I said, and I'm going to stick by my, my obligation. I said, and also, um, I feel as though there are not very many women of color represented in the leather community. That's important to me. You know, um, there hadn't been but a handful of people of color who had previously been international Miss Leather. Um, and uh, that's important to me, to raise that profile. Mm-hmm. And there, uh, to me, there's always a need to have a broader spectrum of people represented. When I first came out in the community, I was one of three black people I saw for a year. Yeah. In the Bay Area. And I went to a lot of shit. 
you know, and we're talking about munch after munch after party after party. And there would be like one other black person, two other black people, me and like the one Asian dude. And it was like, wow, really white, really white. And so to have the opportunity to step up and say, oh, look, no, there are actually, you know, people who look like you for folks who aren't white. Yeah. To feel more welcome and more invited, you know. Why do you think that is? Why is it so white? Um, well. And is it is it less white? Now? Yes, it is definitely. I mean, now you have uh, entire events like Black Beat. Sure. Um, which is happening and munches that are specifically for uh, POC, which is people of color. Um, I will say first and foremost, there's a kinky sex is that crazy white folks shit kind of perception in a lot of the communities. Yeah. It's like when I was in when I was in high school, you know, I grew up in the projects in East Harlem. And I went to Hunter, which was like, ooh, foofy, you know, like smart kids school. But I lived in the projects. And my after school program was up in the hood. Yeah. And so when my first boyfriend and I started like banging the shit out of each other and you're sort of whispering to the other girls like, hey, so this and this and that. And, you know, black girls are saying to me, ew, how could you let someone eat your pussy? That's disgusting. How could you suck someone's dick? That's nasty. When something like oral sex, which to me was sort of a basic given. Yeah was considered by my peer group, you know, among other black girls to be a foul, disgusting, unnatural act and something that like freaky white girls did. You can see where for a lot of people, and I can't say for everyone, but this was my experience. It was seen as freaky and weird, you know? And so I think that there's, I think there's definitely an idea that um, there's a sexual conservatism among a lot of, a lot of, uh, I know a lot of, among a lot of black people. I think that's true for a lot of other um, non-white people. You know, and also if you're involved in the public community, you need a lot of disposable income to a certain extent, yeah. right? And if you are, for example, you know, a working parent and you have your kids and you have your life and you have your job and you have your other stuff, are you going to go so far as to get a babysitter to take care of your kids so that you can go to a munch? This yeah. is a thing that people who are, are, are financially marginalized are not going to be able to do. Right. So they are probably having as much freaky sex as everyone else, but they're not organized about it and they're not doing it in public. So you don't see them in, in that, in that atmosphere, you know? And also if people come out to a party and they're the only person who looks like them, a lot of folks get disappointed and discouraged and it's just like, well, fuck it. This is obviously not my community. Yeah. You know, it's weird because I, I've got, I've got a friend who she's African-American mm -hmm. dominant and she said that being the only being the only black woman at an event for her was somewhat of an advantage absolutely because because she was it, it's just like anything else sometimes especially in like the dating pool sometimes the thing that's so different yes. is the thing that you know and for and for some reason she just loves submissive white boys yeah she's the one that's her phrase i don't i just <laughs> consider myself a submissive guy but i don't you know <laughs> I don't belong to a club as far as I know, but so for her, it was ideal. Yeah. Right? It was ideal. Yeah. And, uh, and also I had I, I had never thought of this, but for her, she, you know, there's some sort of reversal stereotype reversal mm -hmm. for her being the dominant one. And Absolutely. she really loves, she really gets off on that. Um, and at the same time, I've got, I've got other friends who are in the scene who they just, 
they don't notice. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, it's all white here. Oh, okay, I guess it's all white, right? Right. It doesn't even register. It doesn't register, right? Well, because that's the way life is. And this is the funny thing when um, when I point this out to, to white people and they're just like, oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. It's like, yes, because you have the luxury of not having to think about yeah, yeah. that. You know, and you're absolutely right. For a, for a black dominant woman, uh, there's that sort of, you know, retributive kind yeah, yeah. of like, yeah, getting back at the thing, whatever. And there's also the fetishization of, you know, um, that kind of stereotype of like the strong black woman. Yeah. And here's the, you know, here she is, the Amazon queen, the Nubian princess, whatever that sort of fantasy is going on. And if you can play on that, that really works. Yeah. You know, if you are a dominant black man, for example, that actually still kind of works because it's, again, taking back the power, you know, that has been that has been traditionally denied to black men in America, etc. You know, when you move on to the submissive side, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, For me, when I first started, uh, because I've always been freaky and always had kinky sex. So I I never thought about my, I never had this sort of like, this is a point where I was like, yes, kinky sex is a thing that I do. I always did. My first boyfriend and I used to go to like the Pink Pussycat Boutique and get like, you know, little fuzzy handcuffs and whatever. Um, But when I finally started thinking, it wasn't just the kinky sex and it wasn't just, you know, that kind of. Um, energy exchange, it was also the power dynamic and specifically wanting the sensation of ownership and slavery and that kind of thing. And I hit this brick wall because the first person with whom I had any sort of interaction that was deliberate and aware was a white guy. Yeah. You know, and when we started having these like, you know, little fantasy role plays of, oh, you're going to be my slave and my half of my brain is exploding in instantaneous orgasm. Like, this is the hottest thing ever. Oh, my fucking God. Right. And the rest of my brain is like, Dr. King is rolling in his grave right now because you are setting back the race 400 years, you evil, evil bitch. But it's the same as, as feminism. Those people get yeah. upset with feminists mm-hmm. being submissive. But if that's what you want, that's then it exactly is feminism. what feminism is. Right. All right. You know, um, and the idea, and this is what I, from my point, you know, I don't feel like I have to defend my position, but I will explain it because I feel like not a lot of people do. You know, that's part of what I want to do as an educator is to say, look, part of what is hot is the fact that it is transgressive. That is exactly what part of the eroticism comes from, you know, is that it is a reflection of a horrible, despicable aspect of human nature and history. And uh, the fact that I can choose to say, Here's the beginning, middle, and end of how this transaction is. And I am the one making the decision to say, yes, I'm going to engage in this type of relationship. But at any point, if it is not satisfactory to me, if it becomes abusive, even if I just don't fucking like it anymore, yeah. I call the shots and it's done. Yeah. Unlike traditional slavery where it did not matter. It was an institutionalized force. Right. You know, um, But it's really difficult to come to terms with that. And people have a really hard time with it. And I'll tell you, when I first started publicly talking about deliberately acknowledging the elephant in the room, which is if I'm submitting to someone who's white, it doesn't matter if we're not doing a quote unquote demarked race play scene. Yeah. I had people coming to me going like, I can't believe I just saw you doing this race play scene. I had a woman like almost in tears yeah. because one of the first things she had ever seen in a dungeon was me doing this brutal race play scene. And I said, okay, let's talk about that. Yeah. And as she's describing it, I said, oh, <laughs> you know what's really funny is actually um, that was my, my, my first dominant, and he did not do race play. He was absolutely against it. He was, however, really into Shibari and really loved single tales. And so what 
he did was tied me up and used a single tail on me, yeah. which she saw was this horrible scene evocative of slavery and, yeah. you know, ripped from the pages of Roots. And I was like, no, actually, if you said to him at the time, oh, my God, look at this horrible race play scene, he would be mortified because it was not at all his intention. Yeah. You know, and in San Francisco especially, I, I had three different white tops say to me, I don't think I could play with you because I would feel too weird and guilty about uh, topping or dominating or hitting yeah. a black person. So I, I, you mind if we talk about race play? Mm. Uh, so I have had only one, and this is me being ultra sensitive. Yeah. One example of what I would consider, because I am I am extremely paranoid on that level <laughs> of race play. Um, I've played with people of every shape and color. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was in the Midwest, I grew. Uh, I was living at the time near an Air Force base, and. Uh, I met at a bar or whatever this African American girl who uh, who was complaining that it was incredibly hard to date because she hated the guys on the Air Force Base. She just hated. I was like, why was she in North Dakota? Well, probably because she can't choose where you're stationed. Oh, she was. She was was in the the Air Force. Okay, 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 okay. All right. She was really. She was complaining about. She hated guys on the Air Force in the Air Force, right? Um, uh, So she was complaining about how and 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 how everyone. There, which is in North Dakota, you know, everyone there was racist, right? So they weren't. So she couldn't find it. And I said, "I'll totally go on a date with you." Found her very attractive. So, and I hadn't come out. I mean, I I knew I was kinky, right? But I hadn't come out to anybody. Yeah, about yeah. Uh, and she and I are having sex, and uh, at one point, I'll never forget these words. This is when I realized I'm not dominant in the least. But also, I wasn't sure, is this because I'm not dominant or because I'm paranoid about... So we're having sex, and she said, and I quote, I'm quoting here, she said, spank my black ass. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, just act like you didn't hear her, <laughs> right? Because you could miss that while you're... <laughs> just act like you didn't hear, right? Because there were two things. Oh, my there were, God. There, was, there were two things in my mind. Right. Like, even though she asked, is that... And I was 21, right? So I didn't... I knew less than I knew now, which is very little already. <laughs> so I was like, "Am I, am I racist if I acknowledge that, or if I, and, you know?" So and she said it again. So I just, I, I, the lightest tap you've ever. <laughs> wind is stronger than what I did, right? And she never asked again, which I, a, a, a greater man would say that that's a bad thing because she, that means she wasn't getting what she wanted. But at the same time, I was like, I don't have to deal with. Because I didn't want to hurt someone, you know. Right, right, right. That's when I realized I'm definitely not dominant, right? <laughs> but I, was, I had these, you know, kinky, submissive <laughs> fantasies. And then uh, later on, uh, I was I, I brought it up. I talked to her about it. And she was like, she was like, yeah. So was that because I said the word black? I said, well, at first it was. But then it was just the act of doing it. She yeah. was oh, so you'd rather. So she became the first one to actually give me a spanking. Actually, nice. Try. Yay. Like, Yay. That was clearly not what you would call race play, right? I mean... Well, it's it 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 depends on, on what your definition of it is. My definition is very broad because I'm all about inclusivity and I'm all about tricking people into doing shit that they don't know they're doing, right? So... <laughs> what a great person. A- I'm like, have you ever... To me, race play is any sort of play that brings up or acknowledges um, the race or racial background or identity 
of the people involved, yeah. right? So if she were to say, spank my ass, your awkwardness would have been, well, I... Um, uh, and the same thing probably would have happened because that's not in your nature. It's not a thing that you want to do. Right. By specifically mentioning her race to a person not of her race, yeah. it does become a little more charged. Would she have said the same thing if she was hooking up with a black guy? She might have, you know, because then there's the, you know, acknowledgement of her as a black person, as a sexual being. You know, you can get really meta about it. But the thing is that the same thing, the same, uh, the same um, statement made to people of different races is going to have a different impact. Yeah. And you know when you say that to a white person that it's going to have a different impact than if you say it to a black person versus if you don't bring up race at all. Yeah. So would I say that that, incorporate, that that could be called race play? I would say yes because it's bringing up and dealing with the issue of your racial differences. Yeah. You know? um, and the thing is that at that point, could it escalate? It absolutely could. You know, and by giving you permission, what she was saying is it is okay to point out and utilize this difference in our sexual encounter, you know. And I think that that's how a lot of people sort of get into it, is that they get turned on by that. Yeah. And um, there are a lot of people who will object to and don't like the idea of someone being turned on by their racial identity. You know, um, my thing is, if the only thing you're interested in is my racial identity, I don't find that interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you happen to think that black women are the hottest and most amazing people on earth and you just can't get enough of us, am I going to say no, fie upon you? No, absolutely not. You yeah. know, one of the best relationships I had was with a guy who was this tall, goofy white dude who could not get enough of black women. Yeah. You know, had not been that way his whole life. It actually, you know... He used to tell the story about how he dated this woman and she was black and he was like, I don't know. I'm just not really. We can have sex, but I don't think this relationship is going to go anywhere. It's whatever. Um, after they broke up, and I used to joke, I was like, she put the root on you. She put the voodoo hex on you because now you can't get enough. And not just of black women, like thick, fat black women. Like <laughs> we'd be walking down the street and there'd be a sister walking ahead of us who was like twice my size. And I was like, bless your heart, look at you. <laughs> you just broke off mid-sentence to look at her ass. You're a doll. We have to go back home and fuck right now. <laughs> you know, and so for him, it wasn't it wasn't this sort of like leering, horrible, grotesque sort of like, ah, yeah, I've always wanted to have it. It was the... He genuinely was like, this is what I find beautiful. Yeah. You know, and to me, I don't I don't see that there's anything um, uh, uh, grotesque in that. And that doesn't work for all people. Some people are turned off by it. And absolutely, you know, draw that boundary um, for the people who do love it. Fine. Great. Wonderful. For the people who are turned off by the idea of actually using it in a kink scene. Um, I totally understand that because it is complicated and it is uncomfortable. Um, and when folks are like, well, I kind of want to do it, but I don't know. And I said, don't, th then don't do it. Yeah. If you're sitting there hemming and hawing and questioning it, don't. Yeah. That's, I said, what is the problem? Just don't do it. And so then there's more hemming and hawing. I said, oh, I see. The problem is you want someone else to give you permission to do it. Yeah. You know, you want someone else to say it's okay. I said, okay, I will write you a note. <laughs> Melina said, it's okay for me to have these really sick and twisted fantasies. And it's been notarized. <laughs> I was like, here's my signature. Um, you know, and and a lot of folks have that boundary where it's like, I just don't want to feel like I'm the only person. Yeah. And that is one of the things that I really love about kink education is that you get to be in a room full of people and say, this is not the end of the world. You are not an evil person. And you're certainly not the only person who has this fantasy. Yeah. You know, everyone has fantasies that are dark and scary. Um, the majority of people bury them or turn away from them because they don't have room in their lives to deal with it. Yeah. 
the main difference between people who identify as kinky and people who don't identify as kinky is that the kinky folks have said, fuck it, I'm fucking going for it. Yeah. You know, and that's wonderful. And the people who aren't just don't want to mm-hmm. or are afraid to or aren't aware that they can. Yeah. You know, for that last group, the people who aren't aware that they can, those are the people I'm just like, come on, come on, come on, come on. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and those those are the people who... I, I, I think are the ones who, when the New York Post writes a, 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 a you know scandalous story about some kink, mm. they, they're the ones who are reading it just in, in, a, in a way thinking that person did something that I would love to do, yeah. or or had you know, or, or unfortunately it also solidifies in their mind this is why I can't, yes, because I don't want to be on the front page of the New York Post. Right? Absolutely, absolutely, which is which is to me a shame. Um, However, for better or for worse, I know that you know every every pervert who was a pervert pre Fifty Shades is sitting around on their rocking chairs. Oh, those people with their crap! I yeah. said, you know what? It's made an international conversation of kinky sex. Yeah. Um, if that is the only thing that that you can point to as a positive, uh, then fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's too bad that it is so poorly written. Yeah. Uh, you know, and all of that. But the fact that people, that pe- I mean, you don't know anyone who doesn't have a story about their aunt or their cousin or their dental hygienist or someone on the train turning to them and going, so have you read Fifty Shades of Grey? And now you have permission to have a conversation, not just about sex, but about kinky sex. Yeah. And that is, a, that is a groundbreaking thing in this country, you know. Absolutely. You mentioned beans in San Francisco. Yeah. You're originally from New York. Yes. And I've always heard people compare uh, West Coast and East Coast, the kink scene, as uh, mm. the East Coast is more hardcore, you know, heavy play, whereas the the East Coast or the West Coast is more spiritual. And you're looking at me like, what the hell are you talking? Well, about? no, no, no. I've heard it. I'm rolling my eyes because it's such bullshit. Um, the 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 I will say that in general, the West Coast does have a more uh, Airy fairy, or you know, crunchy tree hugging kind of thing going on. Sure. But that's sort of just true of the culture. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so culturally, you're going to have that difference. Um, I grew up in the scene on the West Coast, mm-hmm. so my experience of the New York scene is coming in, you know, later in in my kink life. You yeah. know, after like 18 or so years of being a pervert. Um, and what I will say is very interesting is that the scene in New York feels to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, really limited. There's not much in terms of venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, several of the clubs that I was raring to visit are gone now. Um, you know, you had one club that was open briefly and then closed because mm-hmm. of a huge, the huge scandal, you know, in Queens with that, with that, with that venue. Um, and so I'm not sure where the heart of the New York scene is. The men's community, which was, you know, one of the hotbeds back in the day has dissipated to a great extent. You know, I, I hear a lot from the gay men's community that it's really dying out, you know, on both coasts. And so that's the thing that I personally, I mean, it's not it's not that, that I would be able to walk into a men's leather club and see people fisting in the slings, but that it's happening and that it's there makes me feel like, you know, warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and the fact that that's something that's not happening makes me go, well, what the hell's going on? Um, and so a lot of what I hear about the scene locally here is that there's, you know, a couple club nights yeah. where there's some king stuff going on. There's some there are private parties that people are having, you know. Um, but other than that, there doesn't really seem to me to be a cohesive community, you know. Um, whereas in San Francisco, for many years, there really was. Um, even that shifting and changing. When I first started 
in the scene, I was going out to parties in uh, 96, 90, no, 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 97, 98, right? And there were, uh, on any given Friday night, there were five different clubs you could go to. You know, and so you'd have to sit and go, well, do we want to go to the Castle Bar? Do we want to go to the Power Exchange? Do we want to go down to Differences, which was like a kinky bed and breakfast that had parties in the basement? Yeah. You know, um, do we want to go out to the East Bay where there was a pro-dom house that would um, open their house on the weekends and they would have parties out there? Uh, and that has radically shrunk, you know. And so I feel like there's this odd kind of... Um, I don't want to say evaporation, but people, I think what's happening is that people are coming into the scene, finding partners, learning what they need to learn, and then going home. Yeah. You know, a lot of people aren't really seeing the scene as a social uh, center as much as they had. I think that's probably an ebb and flow kind of thing. Um, I don't see that there's some great deal more hardcore, freaky, fucked up shit happening on the East Coast than there is on the West Coast. Yeah. You know, um, trends come and go. When I first came into the scene... Uh, uh, Shibari bondage was just hitting the crest of people starting to do it. Um, and if you saw someone doing a suspension, it was a sort of a showstopper. It was like, wow, someone is up off the floor being suspended. And now, if you can't suspend someone, you know, people look at you like, what, you don't know how to do rope suspensions? <laughs> right. And I'm like, seriously, this is a feat of engineering. It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. It's not a thing that everyone needs to know how to do. And it's not a marker of, of how uh, erudite and educated a pervert you are. Yeah. It's just a thing, you know? Dove has talked about how he's had classes or something like that. And someone will show up and they'll go, all right. Teach me how to suspend. And they've never even touched rope up until that point, right? Yeah. They'll just show up expecting, well, that's that's all I want to do. Because they think that that's the pinnacle and everything else is secondary, right? Which is, is to me, very problematic. Because there are some people who come into the scene, and and I talk to them. They come into the scene. They see people doing X. They see people doing Y. They're told that this is how you are if you are a submissive. This is how you are if you are a dominant. They don't fit into that paradigm. And so they kind of wander off going, well, I guess it's not who I am. Yeah. You know, um, and for me, I definitely had that issue when I was first coming to the scene um, because I came from the, okay, well, I'm definitely submissive. I feel like I really want to be a slave, and this is what that looks like to me. And I was involved in a household that was a poly household. So it was like one dominant male head guy and, you know, anywhere from two to six women that were in his service at any given time. And he had his main partner who was sort of the major domo of the household. Yeah. And, you know, all this formality. And when I eventually didn't quite fit into that paradigm for various reasons that, you know, well, my type of service didn't fit in with the ethos of the household and I was too showy and I was too whatever. Um my assumption was, well, I must not be a slave. I guess that I'm, I, this, I, I just don't fit that role. I, okay, well, I guess I'll just be submissive and I'll play with people because that's what I want. You know? But part of me still nagged and said, well, the ownership and that connection is really what I want. So how is this working? You know? and, um, and I read Vi Johnson's book, To Love, To Obey, To Serve, I think it's called. And she talks about her history as a slave, which is intense and nuts. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, Jesus Christ. And I finally met her a couple years later and I said, I'm so glad you wrote that book because I read your book and I realized that I'm not a slave. And she was like, what do you, what, what, what no, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you know, and we had this really eye-opening revelation where she said, your identity does not depend on someone else telling you yeah. what you are. It's who you are. And then you find the people who, you know, open your heart in that way. 
And that was amazing to me because I felt like I needed to fit within this mold. You know, I needed to find a dominant or a master who had this structure that I could fit into versus you come together as people and see how your dynamic evolves. And that's not what people see. People see rope suspension. People see people kneeling and calling and crawling around in this very submissive, servile sort of role. And they assume that that's who they have to be. And then... Um, I have people come to my classes. Part of the reason I started teaching was because I was angry that no submissives were teaching. You know, and this was back in the late 90s. And I said, why aren't submissives teaching classes? Why is every class about how to do a thing? Why is no class about how to talk about doing the things? Why is no class about how to get your needs met or what happens if they're not met or whatever? And so I had some friends who were like, well, if you don't like it, then you should fucking do something about it. Yeah. And I was like, well, I fucking well will. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> so you, this is your, this is your 2013 uh Crusade is the word you use right here. I feel now I should have armor. Is, is to have a is to have sort of a all submissive uh, exchange conversation sleepover. What would you don't? Yeah. You said you don't want to call it an intensive. No, I don't want to call it intensive. I think I think I want to uh, 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 think outside of the box on this one because part of what an intensive implies is that there's an agenda. Of, of of learning, yeah. you know, um, and I do have an agenda of learning, but basically what I want is for people to have permission to be who they are with other people who identify similarly, yeah. you know, so to get together a bunch of people who identify as slaves, who identify as submissives, uh, to be outside of the realm of, for example, if you're single, you know, I'm a single person, I've been single most of my quote unquote career in the scene. And that's very difficult. I go to conventions as, as, as business. I cannot tell you how exhausting and enervating and sometimes fucking depressing it is to teach three classes and be like, rock star, rock star, rock star, and then go back alone to my room at the yeah. end of the night. You know, that's the really tough uh, road to hoe. And um, I know a lot of submissive people who are like, oh, well, you must have like dominance hitting on you. I'm like, no. Actually, no. Because what happens is you have this sort of status, you have this kind of you know, place and name and people get intimidated, which is this terrible irony. Yeah. You know, I had someone who was, who identified themselves as a dominant, who said to me in a sort of, you know, in a, in a conversation where we were flirting, oh, well, you know, you would probably not even notice someone like me um, uh, as a dominant, as a potential dominant. And I'm sitting there going, why don't you just dump a bucket of ice on my genitals? <laughs> That it's like right. the least sexy come on ever. I said, am I supposed to now reassure you that it's okay for you to hit on me yeah. from that perspective? I said, why don't we just see if we get along as people and then worry about the other stuff later? Um, so a space where people, regardless of their relationship status, regardless of how long they've been in the scene, can just come together and and have time to talk about what it means to them to be submissive, to talk about ways that they've hit against walls that have been problematic, to talk about victories, to have that space be a safe space, and to have some, you know, structured topics. So we would definitely talk about, like, negotiation and talk about, you know, um, structuring your life around submission, you know, talk about how much of it you integrate into the rest of your life and have those different topics. But then also at the end of the night, you just have everyone, like, let their hair down and have snacks and have pajama party and a panty raid or whatever the fuck um, and have there be a, a, a space where we can talk about what it means to be submissive in 2013 with the state of the scene as it is whether or not you are a private player I would love to reach out to people who aren't necessarily a part of the quote unquote scene mm -hmm. right 
and to have like the people who have read the hot novels and are like, I kind of want to do this. It's like, okay, come talk to us. You know, this is what it's like. Here's an example of a healthy master-slave relationship, which for some people is an oxymoron. Yeah. You know, they would say there's no way to do that because it's inherently uh, fucked up to feel like you own someone. And for us to be able to say, no, it really isn't. And, and, it, and in fact, not only can you be submissive, you can be strong and aggressive and you can be, uh, 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 you can have your shit together and you can be, you can have a dominant personality and be submissive. Yeah. You know, you can be outgoing and loud and brash and aggressive and all those things and be a slave. You know, those things are not mutually exclusive. And when I think about all the people who I've met who were especially like new to the scene, mm-hmm. who this would, something like this would benefit, I think guys have different, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that, that submissive guys and submissive women can, can learn from. Absolutely. But they also have very different, you know, points of view, obviously, yeah. right? Um, and I think there's so, especially for those people who are first coming into the scene, mm-hmm. when they have these preconceived notions that if they don't meet up to these preconceived notions, they can be totally crushed by it, right? They can be crushed by it. They can be damaged by it. They can be, you know, uh, damaged to the point where they back off and say, you know what, this isn't for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, the thing about submissive, the, 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 one of the main differences I feel between submissive um, men and submissive women, and I hate to do the whole gender binary thing, but, you know, for the purposes of this, I will, um, is that the submissive men are almost expected to pursue. Yeah. And the submissive women are expected to be pursued. Yeah. You know, they are the prey. They're being hunted by the predator, you know, so they can bear their throat in the moonlight, you know, and all that other shit, right? And so you've got a very different POV as to what it looks like to find, even to find a relationship. And that's really difficult, you know, like for a submissive woman to say, oh, my God, I'm getting all these emails. What do I do? What, how do I handle this, you know, um, is very interesting. And I talk to people and, and, and I never had that problem. I never got inundated with lots of lots of emails. And I think probably because my uh, profile was always very straightforward and uh, had a list of actual expectations. I said, this is what I'm looking for in a dominant, you know. You have to be responsible. You have to be respectful. You have to be accountable. Yeah. We're like, what am I? Versus the guy who can come in with someone who's a neophyte who has no idea that, you know, them ordering you to wear a certain outfit and to not wear any panties on a first date is 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 um, at least uh, presumptuous. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, for people to say, you know what? It's revolutionary for some people to hear meet on egalitarian terms first. You know, if it turns you on to be in that power dynamic, that's cool. I highly recommend people to meet and negotiate on equal on an equal playing field mm-hmm. because that's how you are going to be sure that the person is going to treat you well. If you're already in the submissive headspace, they're already in the dominant headspace, that doesn't necessarily put you in good stead yeah. to negotiate from a steady place. And just getting a room full of submissives and slaves together and having someone say, you know what's okay is asking for accountability and insisting upon it. And then being prepared to walk away if you are not treated with respect and dignity. And, that, and that's a hard thing, especially when you're first training out, starting out and it's something you really crave and it's yeah. something you really desire. It's very easy to, to take horrible risks that mm-hmm. you wouldn't normally take because you think this is going to be my only opportunity to do this, so I have to take this chance. Exactly. And so you'll make a stupid decision, right? Mm-hmm. I've made so, when I was first starting out, so many idiotic decisions. Oh, no. You know, Meeting up with people who I knew had just done some, you know, crack or something like that, but thinking, well, it might be the only, maybe crack isn't that bad, you know, 
I'll, I'll say that I didn't smoke any, I didn't do any crack. But I remember thinking, and, and this person was drunk when when I when she first contacted me, yep. and I just totally jumped at the chance because I. Whereas I think if someone if I had met myself, you know, today mm-hmm. and had a conversation, like you don't need to do that. You do not no. need to do that. There will be other opportunities. Um, uh, it's your desperation that's getting you in this trouble in the first place. Exactly. You know? And and the thing is that desperation and and desire and need and want are absolutely motivators. Yeah, yeah. And as long as you acknowledge that that's where that's coming from and you treat it with compassion, you know, if you're feeling so desperate, like, I really need to have this, it's like, okay, that's fine. That part of your brain should not be driving the car. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. That part of your brain needs to be in the back seat, hopefully with, like, a ball gag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you're just like, okay, desperation. Yeah. I get you. I, I see you. I feel you. I hear you. But we're going to handle this with some um, with some uh, uh, restraint because otherwise we're going to wind up, like you say, in a situation where you're playing with someone who's drunk. You're playing with someone who doesn't know what the hell they are doing. Yeah. You know. And part of what I, I, I hope to accomplish is to have people connect and then have that network grow. And so if you spend, you know, half a weekend with folks, you spend that day, you have a sleepover, you exchange numbers, you exchange profiles on FetLife, you have people you can go to and say, hey, you know, I just did the scene with this person and I'm feeling kind of weird and have them be like, okay, look, (laughs) you know what? You deserve better than that. Or to have someone say, okay, look, you know what? Lighten up. It's cool. Just see how this goes. You know, maybe they're not your perfect you know, master for all time, but maybe you can have a really good connection with them on this level. And having folks that you can bounce ideas off of, which I think would be helpful for all submissive and bottom and slave type people, you know, outside of organized groups. Because, you know, for example, MAST, which is Masters and Slaves Together, which is a great organization, is not necessarily going to be the organization to go to if you are single. You know, it's not necessarily going to be the place to go if you are... um, if you are uh, unsure of your role and perhaps you're a switch and you want to explore both things and, you know, you, you know, you have to go to like the slave circle or the master circle. You're like, but I want to kind of, I don't know. I'll spend five minutes here and five minutes. Yeah, there. exactly. Like you can't really do that. So having places where people can explore alternatives, I think, um, would be really helpful. And that's kind of, it's still in a sort of formative stage. But when I've mentioned to people, what do you think about just having a weekend where submissives and slaves can get together and talk about submissive and slave stuff? And people are like, absolutely, how, where do we do it? Where, yeah. How does that happen? What do we, what do we got to do to make that happen? You know, um, I think what would happen is that people would, would start to form friendships and connection that are outside of how do I get laid? Yeah. How do I get a partner? And, and part of what was really great about, you know, the scene before the internet was that people met one-on-one. That's how you got in. You had to have a friend who had a friend or know somebody, you know, and people mentored folks. You had someone you went to and said, hey, I met this dominant. And they would say, oh, well, let's check them out, you know, versus, hey, I met this dominant. I'm really horny and I've wanted to do this for 10 years and here's my chance. Yeah. You know, um, versus here's an opportunity and looking at it as one opportunity among many that will come, you know, if that's what you want. But it's take someone... It really takes someone in a face-to-face conversation mm-hmm. to really because you can read all you want. Blogs are very helpful, I think, yeah. and you can read all you want about how someone says, "Don't don't worry, it's okay." But when you when you meet someone who's in the position you want to be in, or or has been in that position, right? When you meet someone who is either in or has been in a, in a DS a healthy DS relationship, 
and when you hear advice from them face to face, it's a completely different thing. It's a really different thing. It's it's the value that you place on time you spend with people face to face. In my opinion, is so much higher yeah. than a blog post or or even going to a convention and listening to someone talk. You know, like I can I can talk to ten, fifteen, a hundred people in a class, yeah. right? But that's very different than sitting in a room with twenty people and having everyone go around the room and share a story about yeah. you know like what they really want in a dominant or a time a, a time that a relationship that they were really invested in didn't go so well or a time that a relationship took them by surprise, whatever it is, and have those one-on-one discussions, I think it's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity and one that we don't have because A, internet. Yeah. B, um, um, a lot of people don't necessarily see themselves connecting with p- folks who aren't, uh, um, aren't the person they're looking for, yeah. right? So for a submissive to go to a party, they're not going to look to go to the party to hang out with other submissives necessarily. You might. Um, but I think the majority of people are trying to look for partners. Yeah. Or if they have a partner, then they're looking to play. Yeah. You know, they're not necessarily looking to connect with other submissives or other slaves. And so starting those networks and having that peer mentoring and having that group mentorship, that group support, you know, just having a bunch of people saying, yes, we understand that you're wanting to be owned by another person is not some sign of deficiency on your part. We all want that yeah. too. You know, just that... Um, that acknowledgement is very powerful. So you're looking at maybe doing something in, in Seattle? Do you have a location? I have, a, I have a, 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 a Seattle location. I have a, um, a Chicago location um, that I'm hoping to do in, 20, in 2013. I can't believe it's almost 2013. Crazy. What the hell? Yeah. When the, <laughs> oh, my God. What? It, and and you know before you know it it's going to be 2014. I know, I know. There's uh, there's already people who are like so because people who plan events like years in advance like well we can't have you this year but what about 2014? I'm like what? I'm like Jesus. I can't even know if I'm going to be around. <laughs> I can't commit to that. So part of what I what I what I what I hope to have happen because I mentioned this on Twitter a few months back and people were like come to Portland, come to Texas, come to wherever. And I'm like, make it happen, you know? And part of what I hope would occur is that people feel empowered to create community, Mm -hmm. right? Is that it's like, this is what it would take to have me come up and organize this versus imagining people trying to organize an event is too big for most people's brains. You know, like a three-day, organizing a three-day event is a thing that will take people a year. Yeah, yeah. With, with a crew of folks. But like let's say you and ten people in your city are like, we want to make this happen. We can we can we can do that. Yeah. You know. And so I sort of want to start this this network of, you know, submissive and slave what is it? Good not that was I was about to society say Secret Society <laughs> Secret Submissive and Slave Society of Slaviness. Somebody dude. Um can't wait to Make the secret handshake. <laughs> and the decoder ring. Yes, and the decoder ring. Yes. <laughs> the ice is slippery. You know, it's the secret words that you have. The poodle yaps at dawn. <laughs> ah, yes. Yes. Uh, you, you, you mentioned something that I, a few people have talked about, mm-hmm. and that is playing at events. And, I, and I've yeah. talked to a number of people who play at events who, who are big wigs in their scene. You would be included there. You're, you're a bit of a big wig. People I have a wig of size. No, <laughs> you're, you're someone who who people name drop. They'll say, "Well, I saw Molina do," you know, and, yeah. so, and 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 it's a common thread that I've heard among people saying, like, 
and I think it's because I started asking one person, I'm like, boy, you must get laid all the time at events because of your, who you are, right? And people, and these people have many times have said, no, not really, because either mm-hmm. they're intimidating to people or one reason or, other, or another. Um, so how should, if someone's listening to this right now, and maybe they've seen you present some somewhere at, a, at an event or or whatever, and someone's listening right now, and they've kicked themselves because <laughs> they wanted to, but just couldn't because of whatever. Um, uh, what? How do you prefer someone approach you if they're at an event? This is someone's going to be taking notes. A lot of people are going to be taking notes right now. And if they say, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to approach Melina, and I'm going to see, and I'm going to play, or yeah. at least talk about playing." How, how do you like to be approached? I will say, you know, it's interesting because I have had this as an ongoing issue for over a decade. I'm going to say probably like 13 years yeah. or so. Um, the way I like to be approached is for someone to say, I think you're really cool and I would be interested in playing. Here's my contact information. That's it. That's pretty much it. You know, and the thing I think that people, people fear rejection, yeah. right? Um, you have to know, first of all, that I'm a nice person. And at no point would I be like, how could you possibly think you're worthy to play with me, you (laughs) useless piece of shit that I should be scraping off the bottom of my shoe. Those words will never come out of my mouth at you. You know, um, the worst thing that will happen is I don't feel a connection. And if I don't feel a connection, most likely, and depend on the situation, if eight of your friends are standing around in a circle like egging you on, I'm not going to be like, you know, I'm not feeling a connection right now. Yeah. You know, um, but I would be my my first thing was would say the first thing I would say is, is oh my god I'm flattered and I'd probably start stuttering like a dork mm-hmm. because I'm super awkward in that way you know and I'd be like oh my god someone's playing the hand man thank you so much uh-huh. um, and uh, uh, it takes me a while to sort of warm up to people yeah um, so oftentimes. If I meet someone and I'm interested in them, it will take me a couple of cycles of meeting them. Like if I'm to ask someone else to play, it would take me sort of like, I think you're really cool, let's play it, bye, and then run away and then maybe see them next year at the same event. Yeah. You know, so to me, the approach of I'm interested um, and then just letting it letting it sit there versus um, versus the idea that you have to sort of sell yeah. yourself to me, Yeah. you know, because I will sort of take up the bait at that point. And I will tell you, you know, one of the things that I find unbelievably sexy is someone who thinks that I am really hot. You know, most um, people feel that way, right? Yeah. This is an obvious thing, but it, yet and still, like, if someone's like, you know, what I have wanted to play with you for, and this has happened to me a couple times, where someone's like, I have wanted to play with you for a couple years, and I just, and I didn't, and I whatever. Like my friend Lolita and I have known each other forever. We just played for the first time last year. Lolita Wolf? Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, and we both were sort of like, so, <laughs> you're cool, <laughs> and, you know, well, and we're both sort of having an eye, and then we're like, this is ridiculous. Right. And we're like, grown up people. We should be able to do this. And that awkwardness was actually quite charming on, on both sides, you know? And that's the great thing, is that, for us mere mortals, <laughs> when we hear people like Melina and Lolita, if you're both experiencing that same thing that we've all experienced, there's no there's no difference. And this is the the hilarity part comes when I tell people that I have asked folks to play. I'll work up the nerve to ask people to play, and then get turned down. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, "How could that be?" I said, "Because everyone isn't for everyone else." Yeah. You know, um, there are several people who I've asked to play who've been like. 
And the thing, what they'll do is they'll be like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Let's make that happen. And then it doesn't happen. You know, I had several people where I was like, hey, so I'm interested in you sort of planting the seed. And then like, I'll see them at an event and be like, hey, so what's going on? Like, oh, well, uh, let me let me get back to you. And then it's, you know, Sunday night and it hasn't happened. Well, you but, know? And, and that's the thing, too. This is where the. This is this is where you have no idea. And this is why it must be really frustrating. You don't know it's because they're intimidated. Right. Or if it's because, you know, for whatever reason. Right. It could be they don't like your glasses. Right. I mean, who knows what it is. But the fact that it's because because of who you are, as far as being intimidated by it, that's got to be really frustrating. Right? It is, especially because as a, as, a, as a submissive person who identifies also as a slave, it absolutely turns me off if someone is intimidated. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, the, the people who've been successful are the ones who roll up and are just like, yeah, this is happening. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it, oh, oh, <laughs> oh my God, it is totally happening. <laughs> la, la, la. You know, and not in a, and it's, it's a weird sort of line to cross because you can't just like roll up to me and grab my hair and force me to the ground. Yeah. Uh, I will press charges. Sure, sure. You know, um, but that degree of like confidence mixed with desire is hot as hell. Yeah. You know, and it's scary because putting that out there is 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 terrifying. Yeah. And I'm aware of the you know the secret truth that dominants actually have feelings and fragile egos like the I rest of us. I probably have to edit this part out. <laughs> this is going to be like redacted. It's going to be redacted. Wouldn't it be In crazy? The play, it's hilarious. The <laughs> idea that possibly, maybe, oh my right. god. So if someone's listening right now, again. To just approach you, say, I think you're really awesome, or I think you're really fill in the blank. Right. And A good thing, as opposed to, I think you're really stupid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're stupid and gullible, and so therefore you should submit to me. Right. Oh my God, that's awesome. Oh my God, that's... <laughs> so, so I think you're really fill in the blank awesome thing. Yes. And, and I'd love to play with you. Here's my contact info. Yes. And maybe if they do it at the beginning of an event... To give you some time to crap, you know, your exactly across. like check them out sure. to you know see what else is going on. Yeah. You know, um, the the other complicated feature of this is that I'm I'm a pretty monogamous person. Um, I actually I, I I started using a new term. I started referring to myself as monoamorous because monogamy and polyamory don't track. Mm -hmm. They're not sort of the flip of each other because yeah. polyamory means loving many and monogamy means married to one, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm the sort of monogamous person who like heart bonds with one person and wants to be with one person. But if another friend of mine is at an event, like if I was in service to and owned by someone and I ran into, you know, Lolita and she was like, I'm going to give you spanking. Like for me, that's a wonderful aspect of my friendship with her is yeah. that she, and I do that. We have a great time. We have an awesome scene. Yeah, you know, so for me, the monogamy is not is not necessarily limiting that kind of thing, and so people get all confused about it. But the degree of polyamory in the community at large, the number of people who come in and are like, "Oh my God, I can have more than one. I want all the snacks," yeah, yeah. and so therefore, you don't have very many people who are who are focused on on being monogamous, and that's another, you know, that is actually a I will say that's a, a drawback yeah. for a lot of folks for me. You know, is that they're like, oh, I could only have you, you know, and that sounds like some sort of like grim, yeah, horrible yeah. self self-flagellation thing. But it's true for a lot of folks, you know, and if you're a poly and if it's important to you to have multiple people in your life who you focus on as lovers, you know, um, and you're looking at someone who's like, well, that doesn't really work for me. 
And this is a result of, this is not my saying poly is shit. Yeah, yeah. This is me saying I've been involved with poly people. My last relationship was with someone who was poly, mm-hmm. you know. And this was a situation where I was like, this is not going to work. You have three strikes against you. Yeah. You live far from me. Well, not far, but, you know, he was in the Midwest-ish. Yeah. And I was in California at the time. Married and poly. And I was like, no, no, no. This is never going to work. However... This is one of those situations where the connection was amazing. The energy, like, thing happening, like, the crispy, sparkly kind of like, oh, my God, you're super awesome and da 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 All that was happening and all that had happened in such a way that I was like, okay, let's see if this can work. Yeah. You know? And so I am not closed off. I was not, at the time, closed off to that as being a possibility, you know? Which is a huge compliment to that person. If yeah. you're willing to overlook... Well, overlook is to, a strong word. No, Listen, no. I'm willing to overlook the facts. <laughs> I was willing to to explore to see how that was. Yeah. And what was interesting was that um, it actually the 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 poly part of it was not um, an actual drawback to our relationship because he was sort of like, here is my wife, and this is our relationship, and here are my play partners, and here is their relationship, and you as my slave have this sort of you know this kind of relationship, and I was like, oh. There's not very much overlap in that Venn diagram. I have my circle to myself pretty much, yeah. you know. Um, and so that did work. Um, and so, yeah, and I've had people who are like, well, you know, um, if you're not poly, then this is never going to work. And I'm like, well, you know, what does poly mean to you? And for quite a few poly people, I discovered that what that meant was that they had a quote unquote primary relationship and they had other people in their lives, but to a greater and lesser extent in terms of time, yeah. in terms of energy. So, you know, um, I don't limit myself in that way either. However, I know that that has also kept people off of thinking that I would be a viable partner. Yeah. You know, um, and ironically, I had someone say to me at one point, they were like, well, how do you think anyone would want to approach you because you're always so busy? You know, you're always doing stuff. Who would you possibly have time for? And I said, you know, what's sort of tragic about that is part of the reason I run as fast as I do is to keep my mind off of the fact that I have no one to come home to. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, my schedule and my availability and my focus shifted when I was in service to someone else. I was certainly not saying, you know, I have to jam pack everything into every second because I had this, you know, this, this external focus that was not on keeping myself busy so I wasn't sitting around moping going, I don't have a master. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This really sucks. And no, I've been there. I've been there. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And so that, and, and someone's like, oh, I never thought of it. I'm like, yes, think of it. Because that's that's a really critical thing. Yeah. It's tough to do, it's tough to have your job be part of your identity and then um, have a section, and feel that a piece of it's missing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it really, it's, it's fucking, it sucks. Totally. I, and yeah, no, absolutely. And and and, and I found, uh, yeah, I, I would I would just load up every possible. I would take every job I possibly could. Mm-hmm. I would do every possible thing because it, it is a it is a a nice distraction, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, in the scene, it's funny because I found when I say I'm monogamous, mm-hmm. I've had people go I'm like, eh. <laughs> you know, they, they really kind of look like. Like that's so weird now. Yeah, like that it is. It's it is. really interesting how that's. It's 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 it is interesting, and I think it's actually um, if you look at the origins of the leather community and scene in America, such as it is today, you're coming from um, the gay male leather scene, 
where uh, the focus was on hot leather sex. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what the central thing was, was doing awesome kinky sex, Mm -hmm. you know, and having the power dynamic as a part of that. And I think that coming from that type of background, you're going to have folks saying, oh, wait, well, the focus should be on the sex Mm -hmm. and fucking and with as many people as you possibly can, you know. And so for folks who have a different point of view, you know, um, regardless of where they fall on the gender spectrum, it's going to be different, you know. And so now you have folks going, oh, wait a second. Um, I just really want to focus on this person. That's where my my energy comes from versus the folks who want to get in as many scenes as they possibly can, in which case being poly or having an open relationship is going to work better. You know, and that's absolutely what you should do then, you know, and more power to you. And I think that a lot of people um, come into the scene, discover that they can be poly as well at the same time. And so I think that that's why the scene has really moved towards a um, towards that being the 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 default. But mostly, I think the reason there's so many poly people in the scene is because monogamous people come into the scene to find a partner, find a partner, and then go home. Yeah, yeah. To do their MS, their DS, yeah. their kink. Yeah. You know, there's no reason for them to you know um, go to the party and go to the munch because they have someone. Yeah. You know. I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I guarantee there's someone who's listening right now who found this episode just because they Googled you. <laughs> and listening to you describe what you were looking for and how to approach you is exactly what they were looking for. <laughs> You're welcome, listener. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> right. And oh, I, I asked Lee, because you guys went on a book tour. Yes. It was awesome. I asked Lee, I said, is there any dirt you can give me on Melina? Is there anything? <laughs> is there anything from your encounter that you can uh, that your your time on the road? And, and Lee paused for maybe two seconds, looked off into the distance, and just said, "Cupcakes." <laughs> and I said, "Can you expand on that?" And Lee just said, "Cupcakes, just cupcakes." <laughs> is there something that can you talk about this, or is there? I can. I, you know, it's it's funny because I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a recovering alcoholic, and so I've been sober since Mars 2007. You got a tattoo. I That's do awesome. a tattoo of my sobriety date, um, which is funny because when I was in rehab, I had a dream about getting this tattoo. And my counselor was like, well, what are you going to do when you relapse and you have this tattoo? And I said, thank you for your confidence <laughs> and your support. Um, now, mind, you know, this is my first time trying to get sober and the recidivism rate, you know, for first timers is 89%. Sure. Uh, and I said, well, thank you for your support. What I will do is I will get that crossed off and I will get the date after that underneath it. And if I die with like 30 dates going up my arm, then great. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that you, when you first get sober, you're a sugar maniac. Yeah. And it's just like, I literally like the first month I was sober, I would find myself like up in the middle of the night, like shoving sugar, just white sugar into my face going, I'm going to die of diabetes. Um, what's going on? And like my doctor was like, you know what? This is actually fine. Don't, worry about it you you'll get better yeah it's just part of your you know detoxification process um and so you know i don't smoke i don't drink i don't do recreational drugs um and i have discovered that my in the intensity with which i enjoy food has become crazy which is why i'm glad that i'm just sort of like i sort of like balance out at like moderately fat and i'm just like but i can eat anything i want it's like this is fantastic yeah um, and I've always loved cupcakes. So to me, this whole like cupcake fad 
sort of just fell into my plans because I'm like, look at this perfect piece of cake with the frosting and everything. And so, and Lee also has a, a you know, I will out him as a cupcake fetishist. And I had no idea how intense it was until, you know, we were on the tour. And we would go from city to city and people would, 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 would come and they would like offer the cupcakes to us. They were like, oh, you're a cupcake. It's like, yes, thank you. Bring it before me. Allow me to judge. <laughs> cupcake. I will see your cupcake. And... <laughs> <laughs> Let you know how I approve of the offering of your of your fair city. That's great. You know, and so um, uh, it's interesting because I have to finally admit, I'm like, no, I actually genuinely fetishize good food, and especially sugary sweet food. I'm just, it's crazy and it's embarrassing. Like I will like be in my room like secretly shoving, you know, like German gummy berries in my face, and you know, I'm like hiding them from Karen and Laura. I'm like, I got these berries. They cannot know. I have to eat like three handfuls of them. Um, so I have the, like the sugar fiendy thing, but you know, it's so funny because you think you're going to like find out this like super secret uber um, uh, uh, crazy stuff when you're up in someone's face for so long. And what was funny is that I will say is that Lee is so like organized and so together and so methodical. And I am so not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm just like, literally, there would be mornings where Lee would have this like flawless, like, you know, his suitcase would be this meticulously, flawlessly packed with everything in rolls and over there. And I was literally like sitting on my suitcase, like, bomb, 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 like trying to like jamming like my corset strings into the side because they're getting caught. It sounds. It sounds. I hope. Was there any documentation you guys made? Uh, this sounds like it would be like a perfect road trip buddy movie. It would be. You know. Well, we have we have some tweets and and, and stuff like that. And it was funny because we were originally going to like do all this like blogging and whatever else. And I found that on some level, and I'm having this experience right now. It's a sometimes difficult to live and regurgitate at yeah. the same time. Yeah. And I'm going through this stream right now. I'm actually in, I won't call it a writer's block, but I'm in, I'm really in a hibernation mode where I have a lot of emotional stuff that's sort of coming in. And the book tour, and then after that, going right over to London to study with Barbara Carellis, and then also, you know, teaching and and performing, and then coming back home and sort of having that end of the year thing where you start taking stock of your life, which is the. On this arbitrary date. I hate it! But it's hard not to do it. It's almost impossible. But I keep saying to people, like, why do we do this to ourselves? The whole New Year's resolution thing. Yeah. Yeah. And even though I don't do it, I still find myself going, well, it is the end of the year. What are my goals? I'm like, what are fucking goals? I'm the same way. I'm the same way. <laughs> Nothing has changed. A number Nothing. has... Your car is not automatically different just because the odometer goes off by one. Right? No, but I'm totally the same. I'm totally the and same. And it's so interesting because there was so much that was happening that I... Some of it I did really want to share. And then some of it I said, you know... I'm, I'm learning a new degree of, of emotional privacy, even though I do share so much. There's yeah. some stuff that I'm like, you know what? Some of this has to sit for a little while because I don't know what I have to say about it, you know? And so I think that at some point it would be hilarious to do like the whole pervert buddy movie. Um, uh, but I think that a lot of what, a lot of what happened for me that was really great was, was discovering how it is to spend a lot of time with someone, which is something I haven't done in a long time, mm-hmm. you know, and realize that it's like, you know, even the stuff that you think, because I'm not a tidy person and Lee is very tidy and you would think that he'd just be like, oh my God, her socks are on the floor again. Mm-hmm. But the degree of tolerance and acceptance that you have for someone, you're just like, I love you and I care about you and you're super awesome. And that really overrode, you know, for me, uh, 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 so much of the of the nervousness that I had, you know, because you're exposed yeah, when you yeah. spend that much time with someone. Even people who 
like are partnered don't spend as much time as you spend with someone when you are on the road for a month. Yeah. You know, the there's word. a reason why a lot of relationships break up on road trips. <laughs> it is fucking intense. Yeah. You know, but what was what was hilarious is that we planned this tour. You know, basically, I literally at 4 a.m. sent Leah text message and I'm like, I just had this thing. We're going. We should do like a, a whistle stop train tour for the book. And I was like, he's gonna think this is the stupidest idea ever. He was like, uh, when? And so, because he was up too, it just so happened that mm-hmm. it was like a late night sort of thing. And we pulled up our calendars and we're on Google and I'm like, I have this, I have to be here for this time. And he's like, well, I have to be in San Francisco at this date. And I'm like, I think we can do this, That's you know? Amazing. And so that came together and we had like the whole Kickstarter and made that happen. And we were planning our classes, like what we're going to teach, what we're going to talk about. And then we're in Boston and it's our first class together. And as we're standing there, like introducing ourselves, I was like, this is crazy. We have committed to teach a, a couple dozen classes in the next like three and a half weeks, and mm-hmm. we've never taught together before, ever. Promise me if you do this again, you just have a little handy cam of, of just the goings on. I just imagine that would be so amazing to see. You know, it was it was what was remarkable for me was the um, was that I've I've done a lot of this on my own. But being with someone, like when you're up there teaching and doing the thing and then talking to folks and selling the books and whatever else, having like a, 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 a comrade in arms was remarkable. You know, I was just so glad to not be by myself yeah. doing this. You know, I, it would not be something I would do on my own. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, uh, yeah, and it's funny because we were now looking, we're like, huh, maybe we could do it in Europe. Maybe we could do it. Because we didn't catch, there's a whole, like the whole southern United States were like, why did you come to South? We're like... I was like, well, I don't know, because why would I want to do that? <laughs> you know, no, no, you know, no foulness against like southern friends of mine, but yeah. I've had some awkward experiences traveling in the south. I was like, seriously, sure, that's that makes me nervous. Yeah. you know, I do not want to be in a situation again where, as you as you've experienced, you know, you 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 walk into a restaurant and you don't get served. Yeah, you know, and that happened to me in the north. Ohio well, man. That probably, would, that probably wouldn't happen in Belgium. That probably wouldn't happen in Belgium. Less likely in Belgium. Yeah. I will tell you, you know, and uh, uh, that is one of the things for which I really love being able to travel overseas. Yeah. You get that sort of reset. You're like, okay, it's not the same exact shtick everywhere. Yeah. I'm going to go over here and be like, oh, no, this is super cool. You know, uh, when I was in freaking, where was I? I was in Amsterdam. And there was like a men's leather bar. And the thing is that there is no crossover in Europe when it comes to like the, the leather bars. Mm-hmm. It's like this is men's leather bar. It is a men's leather bar. Um, this was the year I was international men's leather. And in Europe, they actually have a thing where they're like title holders are to be respected. They are representing our community. Mm-hmm. And so the guy who was my sort of, you know, liaison there, who was uh, Mr. Leather Europe and who had run for um, international Mr. Leather. That's where I met him. Mm-hmm. Was like, well, I'm gonna, you know, we'll, we'll bring you, just wear your sash and, you know, I'll introduce you to some people, it'll be cool. And so I walked into this like leather bar in Amsterdam and there's like hundreds of men and they're whipping their heads around like, oh my God. And then would look down and see that I was in full leather and my boots look good and I had my international was leather sash and they were like, here's, this is international was leather. She's visiting from overseas. She's here to, you know, pay respect to the leather community here in Amsterdam. And they were like, oh. Well, thank you for coming. That's uh, awesome. let us, and, and we're so welcoming. I got invited to like the um, 
uh, a Leatherman's Banquet. It's like Europe's oldest motorcycle and leather club. They That's were having awesome. their 35th anniversary. You know, I was I was like one of two women there, you know, and they were so welcoming. That's amazing. And, and it was just so fantastic, you know. And that was actually the high point of my of my years that I went there and then I was also in Sweden and met the Swedish Leatherman's group. And the women in Sweden had been trying to sort of form more bonds with the men's group. And there had been some resistance among some of the older members who were like, we don't want women in the men's space. And they were saying, we're not saying we have to have everything together all the time, but let's work together to build community. And so again, they uh, were fascinated that mm-hmm. I had come to visit, you know, as International was Leather, and they invited me to ride with them on the... Um, on on the on their float for pride and they had never had a woman march with them in the 35 years that was and that was while you were there yes how yeah. what was that like it was i was in tears i was i was actually crying because i i could first of all i couldn't believe that that they had invited me and i was so stunned because the women who had done all the work to get to this point had had you know and it was funny cuz she said well we're kind of using you. And I said, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I was like, that's the point of having, you know, someone representing the leather community yeah. is to say, um, as a symbol of, you know, this is, this is what the leather community in America has to offer. Here's, yeah. here's who she is, you know, and to have them say, we accept you, we welcome you. And so these women who have been working for years, literally, to, um, to form this bond so that they had advocates and to have the men have a meeting and say, International Ms. Leather is here, we should have her on our float to show solidarity. Yeah. You know, it was literally historic. But isn't it, the thing that strikes me when I, when I hear this, because I've heard this about different aspects mm-hmm. of kink, the kink community, not just in what you're saying, Europe, but also in the U.S. It's like, you'd think the most open-minded people would be those in kink communities, right? Or or sexual... There are people, you would think, but there are people who fetishize rules and regulations yeah. and restriction. Yeah. And so for those folks, anything that falls outside of that is going to be really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, to come back around to talking about controversial play, you know, when I first started talking about race play, I had, um, among other uh, African Americans in the community, I had people who... Um, the first huge blow up, and that was I was maybe like four years in the scene, less even, probably two or three. Um, people were um, saying that I should be run out of the community because I was a threat to the safety of other black people. Mm. Because clearly what was going to happen was that every white person was going to be like, we have been waiting to re-enslave you. So now that we have permission to do this horrible thing, we're going to run around and call everyone a nigger whore. And this is just what's going to happen. Yeah. And I and I said, well, you know, actually most white people think it's sort of uh, freaky and, and they're as un- they're more uncomfortable yeah. even yeah. because because they they don't have to see that every day. Yeah. You know, so the fact that we're living it every day you know, and the fact that that is something that makes it appalling to you is actually also making it appalling to other white folks. So if they're racist, they're going to still be racist. This is not creating racists. You know, I was a member of a, of a black female submissive tea group. We used to meet every month. It was awesome. They uh, 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 shoved me out. They basically were like, you were no longer invited. Because of that. Because of that. Um, I lost friends, like real time, not like online friends who were just, we're not going to talk to you, but people who I used to hang out with and would go to parties and afterwards we'd go out for dinner. Like those, there were several people who, uh, um, 
said, you know what, I can't, I can't support what you're doing. It's dangerous and terrible and you're a bad person. And maybe you should just get therapy because it's clear that you need help. Up to and including, I had three different people over the course of several years make threats of violence who said, if I ever see you doing that at a party, I will beat the shit out of you and whoever else is doing it. Um, and actually, they didn't say you. They said, if I ever see it at a party, I would beat the shit out of whoever I saw doing it, which was cool because legally then I didn't have any recourse to uh, to, uh, to, to to report them yeah. because it was not a specific threat. It was an indirect yeah. statement. Um, and but so you what, were talking about something that happens. Right? right, and that's what you were talking about. You weren't talking about, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea if we did this? Right? I was just saying that this is this is this is. I'm, I'm, I wasn't trying to sell it to anyone. Yeah, I was yeah. saying this is something that is a, that I'm curious about that mm-hmm. I've experimented with. Who else is doing it? And how are you handling it? Mm-hmm. You know, and publicly, it was a terror. The, the backlash was insane. Yeah. You know, um, and I wasn't even the first person in the scene to talk about it. Yeah. So I was like, other people. I'm not like this. I'm not the first person saying this here. You know, um, there are people uh, uh, who had written pieces about it, so I didn't think it was that um, that big of a deal in terms of people saying no and pushing it away. So in terms of like kinky folks being accepting and being open-minded, there's no difference. What we've got in our scene is like a, a core sample yeah. of the rest of the world. Yeah. There are as many conservative as many assholes, and, yeah. assholes and judgmental motherfuckers yeah. as there are in the rest of the world, yeah. you know? Um, well, I mean, I was looking through your class list mm-hmm. before, and this is, an, you have quite a bit, so I, I'm hoping you're, you'd be willing to come back just so we could go through <laughs> your class list, because this is amazing. You have something beyond Fifty Shades of Grey, would be perfect for people, you know, who are obviously, yeah. um, but there's so many things, I really, there, we could talk for 10 hours and it wouldn't be enough, I, <laughs> I, I'm hoping you'd come back again. Oh, anytime. But I have a question, so yeah, this yeah. is, uh, uh. As a white person, mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to answer as a white person. I'm asking. I'm asking. Oh, this I was question. like, okay, as hold on, person. hold on, wait. I'm a white person. Okay, go. Have you, <laughs> listen, the fact that Saad is white and I'm very white, we're pretty diverse in this apartment. So, so as a white person, mm-hmm. and, all, and for the, all, all the white people listening, <laughs> what? No, this is not a joke. This no, 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 a, no. Okay, I'm laughing because it's. Am like, I already it's coming so, out? This no, 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 no. Okay, <clears throat> seriously, seriously. You already know what the question is. No, I don't. I'm okay. laughing because I, I. I've had so much blowback from people who get angry about being referred to as white because they're like, well, I, what does that even mean? You know, cause I'm Irish. And so I'm not, I'm like, well, you know, and you're right. right. It's, it's, it is unfair for us to lump everyone into like white and black, because even if you are black in America, that's very different than being black in, you know, in Africa where yeah. the continent is comprised of many different races of black people, blah, 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 yeah. black people, you know, or, you know, then you have the whole brown people thing where it's like, where do they fall? And so the whole idea of whiteness as a, as a, as a monolithic thing cracks me up because I know people who identify as white and then I know other white people who just get pissed off and right. they're just like, don't you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I apologize. Person it, of not brownness. I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I think, I, I mean, Maybe I should be more offended more often, but maybe, I don't know. Well, if you enjoy it. I don't care. Like, if righteous indignation gets you hard, then that's super awesome. You should totally do it. (laughs) I'm going to have to start thinking about this. That's a whole new way I can explore. Okay, as a white person. As a a non-person of color. Right. And for those people who are... Who identify as white. As, as identify, or identify as a not... Who, who as they person, know they're whatever. As a person of pinkness. 
what can I do and what can people listen to? Because you were, you were talking about how awkward it is if you show up and you're the only black person mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. or a person of color there. Right. What's the best? Because I don't, I, I mean, I've, I've never said to myself, oh, there's a, a white guy I need to go talk to him or there's a black guy I need to go talk right, to him. Right, right, right. Um, usually what I do, and this is going to sound like I'm just stroking my e- ego or something like that. If I see someone who looks like a normal person who's a little out of place, I'll try to strike up a conversation. Right, right, right. right. If there's an awkwardness. If there's an awkwardness. If someone feels new or sort of out of place. Or right, yeah. because yeah, yeah. I've been there. Mm-hmm. And usually I can, there's like this empathetic thing that I, yeah. if I, I feel awkward for the person. But what, or what can we do as communities? Or what's the, how, how do we, how do we come together is my question. Will you solve it all right now? I will, one, here we one go. One sentence. <laughs> um, I will say that, that first of all, there isn't anything you can do really. Right. Right. Because it is up to the individual person to decide how far they're willing to go to get this itch scratched. Yeah. Right. Um, Part of what I think folks can do is not trip balls and get freaked out when people want their own space. Because there will be times when folks will be like, we want to have a people of color munch. Or um, at a larger event, they'll say, well, we want to have a mixer for people of color. Mm -hmm. The problem is when you have people who don't fit into that particular demographic, well, we want to go too, and why can't we go? It's racist for you to segregate yourself. That is the one thing people can stop doing, you know, um, is to create support for having away time, right? So that people can come into the community and have this sort of little, you know, special interest group. I really don't see anyone going to the age players. How dare you have a diaper party? How yeah. dare you say that people who are not age players can go to the party? It's like you wouldn't go because it's not your thing. Yeah. Right? And I and I and I really haven't seen a parallel to that. If someone's like, This is a pony play group, we're the pony play people. We're yeah. gonna do our pony shit. We're gonna eat fucking sugar cubes and be over here in the corner waiting to get petted. You know? Right. And you don't see people going online like writing these screeds against the pony play people for having their pony corner, right? Whereas you do see I'm that. I'm sure if you searched. I know. Well, I'm, I'm and then sure again, hold on, because of Fet Life, I'm sure <laughs> you know that there's some angry non pony person who's like, God damn those ponies. The title is Those Asshole Horses. <laughs> Elitist Horses. And so, and so creating a space where, like, for example, if you are hosting an event and you say, look, Get someone local who's interested in having a special interest group to have a, a, a mixer or a gathering under the umbrella of that larger organization is helpful because what that does is that enables people to have a space where they feel comfortable in that demographic. Yeah. You know, um, in terms of what other folks can do, really nothing. It's not your it's not your battle to fight or win. Um, don't be an asshole. Don't gawk and don't like swarm people because you have a fetish for that particular um, racial thing. Mm-hmm. Don't be and don't be a racist in a way that you think is positive. You know where you're fetishizing folks. You're like, oh my god, the hot Asian dominatrix. I've always wanted to like, eh. yeah, really icky. Yeah, you know, um, you do see that kind of thing. So in terms of like stuff, I can tell people to do is just you know be who you are and treat folks who are coming into the community like you say if you're reaching out to someone because they feel because you're sensing that they have that awkwardness because they're new or because they haven't been in this situation even if they've been around for a long time i feel awkward going to spaces because i'm i I don't know the people yeah 
You know, if I walk into an event, people are like, oh, well, it's my way. I'm like, I don't know anybody there. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting there in like the middle of Missouri at an event and I know the people who've invited me and maybe there's someone I've seen at a couple of events that people will come up and be like, oh, hi, I've read a blog post and, you know, I thought that was really cool and start a conversation. That is really wonderful. You know, having people feel welcome yeah. is a really great thing. You know, having people feeling welcome because someone wants to, someone's always had that hot fantasy of having, you know, a hot black mistress, less awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it's treating people like people and having that welcome space, allowing folks who need to have that away time, having that away time, and having that be supported and having people applaud and say, it's fantastic that you are able to have the, 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 the what is what I'm looking for? To have enough, to have like critical mass, mm-hmm. that you can even have a, a, a mixer for people of color. Yeah. And if we're like, yes, the pink people are allowed to, or like if you're coming to the mixer and your partner is not, you know, is not a person of color yeah. identified person, yes, they can come because they're coming with you. Yeah. You know, but not making that a big fucking deal and not making it something where people feel like they have to throw up their hands, like they're fighting already just to have safe space. Yeah, I don't know why so many people, because it's not just. In those situations, there's also like if there's a uh, the, uh, TNG group, sometimes yeah. people get pissed off about a TNG group because someone who's 45 can't go unless they're with someone, right? And, and, uh, I mean, I can understand, but I, it's just it's frustrating. It, kind of. it is, it's frustrating, and it's, you know, and I've heard of TNGs that are being run by people who are outside of the demographic. Yeah. Well, because, well, they started. I'm like, yes. And then you hand it off. Yeah. That is entirely the point. If a TNG cutoff is 35, you don't get to go when you're 43 just because you're cool. Yeah. It's no longer for you. And, and for me, I'm, 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 I'm watching this and it almost seems like, are people upset because they're worried they're talking about them when they're not there? <laughs> Which I can totally understand that paranoia. Totally identify with that. But And it's funny because I, I wonder if that's a case for... for um, you know, for it's it's a whole it's a whole sort of like fear that if you get like ten black people over there in the corner and they're not talking, you're looking over there like you know what the disappointing is thing is probably we're actually not talking about you. Yeah. Probably we're actually talking about our own lives and our own experiences and you know the fact that for example the first two or three years I went to play parties if I heard Enya one more fucking time I was going to kill somebody. You know, my dom started running this party group and I said, sir, can can we put can I put together a, a, a CD for the party? People were shitting their pants because like I had Prince, I had Tricky, I had James Brown. I had like the, all this shit mixed up in and they were just like, oh, my God. I'm like, yeah. How about not this dry, boring? I said, How about we flavor it up a little bit? Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and that's that's a that's a cultural thing. Yeah. Right. Um, culturally, I am going to want to hear a different range of music than someone who is, you know, uh, thinking that uh, Enya and uh, what was the other one that I heard all the time, that monks chanting shit. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, Although I don't know if that's a cultural thing as much. I don't know a single woman who doesn't drool when she hears anything from Prince. This is true. I And, and I think a lot of guys too, if they're smart. I, have you ever gone to a Prince concert? <laughs> yes. I grew up, you know, close to Minneapolis, or oh, about yeah. five hours from Minneapolis. And whenever he would have a show or something, you just you have not heard. You, I mean, you probably know. I've never, I have never seen anything like that before. Not just the show, but the reaction of the women in the. Cr- this man is, and here's like he's five foot nothing, 
and yeah. like less than a hundred pounds, and you just the panties are dropping. He could run for president, <laughs> and every single woman of every age would vote for this. It would be the highest female voter turnout ever. If all Prince would have to say is, "Look, here's my only platform," you know, blah 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 blah. He'll go through his regular platform, and every state of the union, I'm gonna dance and sing. And I'm fucking Prince. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, Prince is, yes. So it was, so, you know, and it's funny because then there were folks who were talking about going to Blackbeat, for example, you know, and saying, you know, it's amazing just walk into the dungeon and hear soul music. Yeah. You know, and is this something that, you know, it is a white thing, it is a black thing, it is a music thing? No. I don't know very many people who don't love, you know, a good R&B slow jam. Do you he- did you hear it at parties sort of in the mix 10, 15 years ago? No, you did not. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a thing that has started to shift, you know. Um, and I had, it was so funny, I had this whole rant on FetLife about this. Someone had posted a thing, this is when FetLife was brand new. What are songs you want to hear in the dungeon? And you saw the typical shit, and I was like, oh my god! Blah, 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 and made this whole list, and people were like, yeah, yeah. And then the next time I went to an event... Um, this guy, DJ Pet, who's super awesome. Like, I was doing the scene, and out of nowhere, suddenly, I don't even, I think it was like Darling Nikki came on, and I was just like, oh, you know what is super awesome is to be bent over, you know, getting reamed by a fucking machine and having Prince on the radio. Thank you, DJ Pet. Thank you so much. This was super fantastic. Thank you, Melina. You can find uh, Melina's website and all of, all of her contact info is on Massacast. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.